0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 169. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we're really getting in the spirit of things here. This was a staple of mine growing up, 1983's Mickey's Christmas Carol. Staple of mine but I don't think I ever asked if it was a staple of yours.
1: I wouldn't say staple. I mean, I probably watched it every year. It just doesn't like stick out in my mind. Cause oh, we have, talk- really? Well, yeah, we've talked about it on the show before. My big staple was the Muppet family Christmas. Right. That we had taped off the TV. So that was my jam. Like if, if there was something that I requested every year, that was it. Um, this I'm sure I watched at least every year, every other year. I just don't the like it, it's weird in in certain ways I don't remember it
0: you okay I'll I'll do you one better. This was not only a staple in my house. We'd watch it on Fourth of July weekend. We'd watch it in September. It did not need to be Christmas to watch this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. No, we had favorite Christmas movies that we would watch in the middle of the year. For sure. You're a kid. It's what you do.
0: But this one was very, very popular. Now, for at least in my family, we're not going to go and launch into the plot of the film because it's a Christmas carol, folks. You've seen it a hundred times. Probably one of the top five greatest stories ever written, right? I mean, I think so. Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, it's gotta be in the top five of greatest stories of all time.
1: Oh, yeah. And not just for Christmas, but I mean, there's such a lesson to be learned here. Exactly. And and not just to keep the spirit of Christmas alive, but just about being a decent human.
0: I feel like Christmas is almost secondary to the point of the story. It's just set at Christmas time.
1: Right, which is kind of a Dickensian thing. It's just, you know... Cold England.
0: Yeah. But we're not going to go into the plot. You know the plot. If you don't know the plot of a Christmas carol, you need to get to a library. So instead, I just want to jump right into what it is that Disney did here. Let me start with there's one song, and it's called Oh, What a Merry Christmas. It plays in the beginning credits and it plays a little bit at the end, but that's the only song. So it, this is not like the Muppet Christmas carol that we talked about previously where they they take the story and make it into a full-on musical. They really just keep this one number. For what Disney was trying to do here, I think that was the right move. I, I don't think you needed to stretch this movie out into anything more than what it was.
1: Right, and it's like, how many musical versions of this are you going to have? I mean, it wasn't... Originally written as a musical. That was the Muppet adaptation of this. Yeah. And it certainly works for the Muppets. You can get away with it. But I don't know that it would have served the story any better here because I think they're going for a much more emotional story.
0: I think they are. And the movie's only 26 minutes long. And originally it was the theatrical lead in for the Rescuers. It was actually the first Mickey Mouse cartoon that was a theatrical release in 30 years where he was the. Star of the show. But I love the song in the beginning. It's a quick little one. You know, it's not something you're, it's not like a uh, Where Are You Christmas from The Grinch, where it became a big radio hit. This is never going to become that. But when I hear it, it does take me back to my childhood. And what I like a lot, and I've always liked it even as a kid, but I've grown fonder of it as I've gotten older the wrinkled paper opening credits. Yes. I love that. Because if you think about it, it it has that yellowed, textured look. You know, obviously, A Christmas Carol being such an old story, I think it fits. But I also love the fact that they could have just as easily opened this on the book, right? We've seen it right. in the Disney movies so many times, where you have the, the blue velvet and it opens up. They could have done that here. They didn't. And I just, I love... I can't even call it animation, but it's like the sketches on there which are kind of just stills of what you're going to see in the movie. I really li- I really really like it a lot and like as plain as it is, it's kind of pretty animation.
1: It is, and I think it's a little bit different for us because this film was made in 1983 and we have seen Things like this before. Uh, They do it in the Aristocats where they're showing that sketched out version of what we're going to see in the movie. Um, And they have done it even sort of in 101 Dalmatians. We're seeing a little bit of the animation.
0: Robin Hood, same thing.
1: Yes. But those were not films we grew up on. This one was because it was you know, we were born in 86. So this was a big part of our childhood. So to see these classic characters, like Mickey wasn't necessarily our era. That was Walt's. And to see him sketched out like that, that wasn't something we really got to experience.
0: Right. And in spite of the fact that, I mean, you didn't grow up on Robin Hood in the traditional sense of, you weren't a young child when it was released. I mean, when this came out, it was still pretty fresh. Right. So it was very prominent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in turn, I think that's why it was a big time staple in our house because by the time 84 rolled around, it was on TV constantly and kind of has remained. So to this day, so that's why I'm not going to launch into the whole backstory. I, I think at this point we've seen it in some iteration. But, I mean, obviously, you're going to go with Scrooge McDuck as the lead. How do you not? I mean, how do you not? But what I love about it is this was Scrooge McDuck prior to DuckTales. You know, Scrooge Scrooge was a character they developed in the mid-40s, and he was sort of that background character Uncle Scrooge to Donald. Right. Right? So I, I love the fact that, He becomes a focal point of this movie. Obviously, it makes sense. He's Scrooge. But seeing what came in the years that followed, I mean, I think this movie is... I think you have to credit it for what became the evolution of Scrooge McDuck because if you think about where Disney went after this film and the phenom that DuckTales was... Scrooge at times, I think, was even more prominent than
1: Donald was. I think in later years, absolutely. And I think that that's something that people don't realize is that Scrooge McDuck didn't come from Christmas Carol. Scrooge McDuck was modeled after Ebenezer Scrooge, but he was in the Disney canon the whole time. This was just a this was a launch pad for Scrooge, if you will. Oh, Oh. I see what you did there.
0: Oh. Launchpad for a lot of people. I mean, Don Hahn was a PA on this film. And John Lasseter had just really started sinking his teeth into Disney. Like, the opening credits, like, obviously watching this as a kid was one thing. But seeing it as an adult, the opening credits were just so entertaining to me on their own. I could have just watched that and have been happy.
1: Seeing Don Hahn credited as a production assistant blew my mind. I mean... Of course you know that everybody needs to start somewhere, right? But it what I didn't realize is it, it just gave so much context to where his career started. I mean, you you know he had to have started around the 80s because he worked his way up and he he was getting his producing credits during the dynasty era, but it was just so interesting to me to see his humble beginnings but how cool is that too as a production assistant that one of your first gigs is to work on a mickey movie that's pretty amazing and he's since gone on to have such an amazing career i mean we've talked about it on the show that we got to see the premiere of howard at the tribeca film festival and we've talked about meeting him but i don't think that we've mentioned on the show yet that I, i mean he is one of the nicest human beings that you'd ever want to meet. But I remember when we were waiting for him outside of the theater and it was our turn, you know, he was very gracious. He was meeting with everybody and there were a couple people lined up to talk to him. And I remember it was, it was getting to our turn. And I was just so excited because this man has meant so much to my childhood and he has touched every single one of my favorite movies And I remember standing there in that moment just before we walked up to him and I was like, oh, my God, we're about to meet a huge Hollywood producer. Because when you think about it and you take Disney out of the equation, if you look at this man's box office numbers, it's insane what he has produced for this company. If you're just looking about numbers alone, which Hollywood does He's a bigwig, but I think because he is associated with Disney and Disney is known for being such a friendly uh they're their um
0: their family entertainment, they're, right?
1: They're family entertainment, but it's just the um the corporate culture also promotes a very friendly atmosphere. So you don't think Hollywood bigwig No, like if you you said
0: Kathleen Kennedy, if you said Jerry Bruckheimer, like these are you're right. Yes. But and then you say Don Hahn. But the thing is, he is as accomplished as they are.
1: Exactly. And for whatever reason, in that moment, it dawned on me and put him on this level as everyone on the same level as, as all these other, you know, corporate suits almost. And I remember I was shaking in my boots when we went up to meet him, as excited as I was, I I don't know why. And I don't usually get like this, but I I really got like clammy getting ready to talk to him.
0: Yeah, he, thank God you didn't shake his hand. No,
1: <laughs> but I, I don't know why it just clicked over. And I was like, oh, my God, he, he's such an accomplished Hollywood producer. So to see his name here on these yellowed pages with traditional Mickey animation, it, it just kind of I, I don't know. It was trippy for me.
0: Yeah, years later and looking back on it now. what You know what I love? Immediately we get introduced to Scrooge as he's walking into his office and he he goes up to the sign on the building that says uh, Scrooge and Marley and he X'd out Marley's name. And he starts having like an internal monologue almost where he's talking, oh, it'll be seven years, my partner died. And how nice he was to leave me the money to pay for his funeral. And he breaks the fourth wall and goes, and I buried him at sea. (laughs) What a great opening line. And what a great introduction to Scrooge McDuck.
1: Right, because he's walking through the town, which I love, by the way, that is populated with all of these recognizable characters. Oh, like we're gonna s- get into
0: them. Oh, well, I'm you so do. Excited. I
1: mean, it's your opening. You're you're walking past the three little pigs and yes. and people from Mr. Toad. <sighs> yes. Ah, uh, so that that was really cool to see, especially because that that was something that we really railroaded Muppets on was that certain characters were omit from Christmas Carol, and
0: you're adding characters that you don't necessarily need. And it was worse in Muppet Treasure Island. Yes. They did it more there than they did in The Christmas Carol.
1: Right, and I agree. I love the intro. It's just such subtle things that develop the character. Even though it's a character we already know, I really like that they so deliberately put their spin on it like you said, with the crossing out of Marley, but even just that the snow is covering Scrooge's name and he has to get his credit in there too. Uh I feel like this version of Scrooge is probably one of the most horrible we've ever seen. I mean, he's a horrible character through and through. That's the point, right? But I feel like... They really
0: milked this one. Well, they really milk it when he's charging people 80% interest on their loans. But I think the other thing is that you have Mickey Mouse's Bob Cratchit, which is sheer a perfection. Given. It's it's a given, but it's sheer it, perfection.
1: Yeah. It's predictable, but there's no other way to do it. Well,
0: it's, it is and it's not because you're not going to make Mickey, Ebenezer, Scrooge. But I know some people get thrown off with Mickey's Christmas Carol when Mickey is not He's the title character, but he's not the lead. What were you going to do? Make him Jacob Marley? Exactly. And at the same time, if you're flipping through a channel guide as a child and you see A Christmas Carol, you don't know what it is. You see Mickey's Christmas Carol, you want to watch it because you know it's Mickey Mouse. But But he is so perfect in this role.
1: And I feel like they do bring the Cratchits to the forefront more than anything. Yes. They they probably get the most screen time out of all of the visits. Well,
0: they do, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this film is so expedited in the way it delivers the story, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Right. But I think part of what makes to 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 finish what I was saying about what you just said, I think part of what makes him such a horrible Scrooge, and not not horrible isn't bad, horrible isn't a horrible person, is that subliminally we don't want to see Mickey Mouse hurt.
1: We don't want to see anybody
0: take advantage of Mickey Mouse, right? I mean, he does it with everybody, but he really does lean into Cratchit here. It's like being mean to a puppy. Like, how, how could you? It bothers me more with the way he's treated versus the way Kermit's treated. And, and I mean, that, that says a lot because Kermit and Mickey Mouse are almost on, to me, they're, they're neck and neck. It's almost the same pedestal.
1: Absolutely. But I think Kermit at least gets to burn the piece of coal. Mickey does
0: not. Mickey does not. And he had, at least the rats were helping him. Mickey had nobody. It was himself. I mean, the, the ink is frozen. Like, the way they set this up is great. And I think what I really love here, too, is the perfect irony that is Donald as Fred. Yes. Donald is usually so angry, but he's now full of kindness and he's full of joy. And that juxtaposition versus the role that you are used to seeing Donald in, it works for the movie. But obviously Scrooge is Donald's uncle. So everything about the way they set this up works. I feel like you're almost predisposed like you have to use Donald as Fred. But I think inadvertently it works so much better.
1: Right, because you can't put Donald as we know him up against Scrooge and have them both be these curmudgeony, angry characters. But it hurts just as bad to see Donald get knocked down a peg, too, especially when after Scrooge literally kicks him out, like actually boots his butt out the door. He comes back with a wreath and says, Merry Christmas.
0: Yeah. Asks him if he's daft and kicks him out the door. We were talking about how they planted some of those classic Disney characters and, and sort of like B and C list characters that you hadn't seen in a long time. I think the two most brilliant plants here are Ratty and Molly Yes. From Mr. Toad. I love the fact that they make a return here. And actually, when we watched the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, I think I even said to you, because it had been so long since I had seen Mr. Toad, and I'd only seen it a few times as a kid, I went, oh, they're from A Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's where I remember them from. And I think that if you love Disney as a company, if you are a fan of the Disney films, other than picking up on some of those characters in the background when we're introduced to this world, seeing them in particular, I think really kind of cements that you are in for something special because this is within the first five minutes of the movie.
1: Right, and like we said with Muppets, they added a few characters. Here, it's not only that they bothered to give us familiar characters, they went out of their way. I think these two were very carefully selected because Mr. Toad is supposed to take place in England as well. So I really like that they put us in the same world. And for all intents and purposes, this could take place along the same timeline. Right.
0: And, and you do get towed later as Fezziwig, which I thought of was a really good plant as well. But I, I mentioned how you get into them so quickly. I, and I, and I said before they expedite the process. I love how quickly they get into the ghosts without sacrificing any of the story. I mean, that's something that I think is underappreciated here. You're getting visited by your first ghost less than 10 minutes into the movie, which makes sense because it is so short. But I feel like you have fully developed characters by the time you get to that point.
1: Right. And forget that this is a story that we're familiar with. What I don't need to see, and I mean... It's different with Muppets because I'll watch Michael Caine forever. But we see him go home and he's sitting alone on Christmas Eve in his pajamas, making dinner, sitting in front of the fire. I don't need all of that. I don't. No. It cuts to Scrooge going to bed. I want to talk about the animation in this sequence just before we get to the ghost. What they're doing with the light. He lights a candle and he starts hearing the chains rattling for for Jacob Marley and he starts looking and the way that they cast the light from the candle on the background you know he like looks up the chimney he looks under the bed and the way that they pull this off is just so beautifully done with it's so accurate where this light shines and it it i'm just like captured by it every single time
0: yeah i i think The way that... You're right. For something that... It's an animated candle, but they just seem to get right to the root of it and they know exactly where the light should shine. Because, I mean, it... For 1983, I mean, yes, hand-drawn animation was obviously quite advanced at that point, but it looks so natural. I mean, I think if there's one thing we can say about the animation in this, throughout the entire film, it's stunning. And it's all very natural. I love the animation... Right before we do get to that point, and it only, it used to freak me out as a kid, when the door knocker changes to Jacob Marley Yes, as Goofy, that used to kind of freak me out as a kid. But Goofy as Jacob Marley was always a home run. It's weird seeing Goofy as a ghost, but his tall lankiness, the way that they draped the chains over him, And the way that they have the physical comedy because he trips over the cane and then he falls down the stairs. You know, you do have to kind of silly it up a little bit for the kids. Goofy is the perfect model for that character.
1: Right. And they give you just enough of silly Goofy juxtaposed against the serious message that he's delivering too. That's why I think he was the perfect choice. Because... You know, he is the one that warns Scrooge, obviously, that he's going to get visited, but it's he's the first one to say, if you don't change your ways, you're going to end up worse off than me. Um, so I think that they were able to still give you the goofiness of Goofy for the kids, but still drive that point home was so perfectly balanced. This is actually my favorite depiction of Jacob Marley ever. I mean, I love it in the Muppets when they do Waldorf and Statler and their whole dance number. Uh, But to me, anytime I think of A Christmas Carol, I I think of Goofy for whatever reason with the, you know, the tie above his head. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, here, especially because Scrooge tells us that he buried him at sea, they added those boxes because they needed to weight him down. I think it's a very subtle touch, but it's also a very strong visual. And. A kid's not necessarily going to pick up on that, but it it's a pretty amazing detail that they were very careful with.
0: Yeah, agree, uh, and I agree with you. This is definitely my favorite Jacob Marley.
1: Which, uh, looking back on it, this movie probably is more prevalent in my childhood than I even realized, because what you were saying with the door knocker, in any other version of Christmas Carol that I saw when the door knocker didn't change, I was like, "Wait, you left that out?" Not realizing <laughs> that that was something that Disney did. But that's that's one of the things that I do remember most as a kid was that door knocker changing.
0: Yeah, I think it's a given that Jiminy Cricket is going to be one of the ghosts. I love that he's the ghost of Christmas Past. I love that he has his badge that says the Ghost yes. of Christmas Past. And that's when you bring him to Fezziwigs and you see Mr. Toad. And Daisy is Isabel uh, Again, it's 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 a plant that makes sense and it's a plant that works. I love this Fezziwig scene with the song and the dance. And I kind of like the fact that they play up on the fact that Ebenezer Scrooge really was sort of that awkward youth and she was pursuing him, which we have seen played out in the past but I think they do work together Jiminy Cricket as the ghost of Christmas past I mean that was very convincing of course it's perfect but what I love here is that they carry over his badge because right? you see him with his badge in Pinocchio, and I love the fact that it carries over to this film as well.
1: What I also love that they did is that they recycled his animation with the hopping, so you, you realize that it's Jiminy before you actually see him. And I think he was the perfect character to be the ghost, or the first ghost, but... um That was something that we talked about when we reviewed Pinocchio was what an amazing special effect it was when you first meet Jiminy and he's hopping toward Geppetto's workshop. Uh, So I love that they included that here. And, you know, same thing with the characters from Mr. Toad. They're not only incorporating it into this film, but they're sticking to the original film where we're first meeting these characters and sprinkling that in as well, which I thought was amazing, especially because as As he picks up Scrooge and they're they're flying to their first visit, Scrooge kind of freaks out, and Jiminy's like, "What's wrong? I thought you loved looking down at the world." And And it was just such a little Jiminy dig. It's so brilliant.
0: And we end up at Fezziwigs and we get Daisy as Isabel. And there's something about this scene that just seems to stand out more to me than any other. I mean, it was it's it was great in the Muppet Christmas Carol, and I feel like we're bringing that up a lot, but seeing as these are the two versions of this story that we have reviewed, naturally you're going to bounce the two of them off of each other. But I love that we see her here pursue him. I love that we see him as that awkward youth because what happens next becomes so much worse when he does eventually break her heart because... It's Daisy. She's innocent. She's sweet. She's cute. You know, she's she's pursuing him, and I think for this iteration, it works. And I think that the number in all is just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's a good put pl- because you've been heavy-handed with the Jacob Marley visit. Now you're heavy-handed with Jiminy Cricket taking him back to what eventually becomes a painful memory. So having the lighthearted music here is a nice breather, and it breaks the film up a little bit. But the other thing is, it sort of lures you into this false sense of security that you've got this happy music, and it just sets you up to have your soul crushed in the next scene.
0: Which she does when he forecloses on the mortgage on her honeymoon cottage because she was one hour late on her payment. Unbelievable.
1: That's where I'm saying this Scrooge is worse.
0: But it, but it's it's so well done, though. Yeah, it really is. And I kind of feel like because you did condense everything, you couldn't show three or four instances of him being horrible. You had to do one because you got one and out. So you got to make the one count.
1: And and that's the thing. you You touched on it before is that this movie is moving pretty quick. So they get you in and out of scenes fast, but they make so much happen. Like, that packs such a punch. It
0: does. And then you get Willie the Giant as the ghost of uh, Christmas Present. He's another great throwback. He's so well done. I always loved as a kid when he picked up the street lamp and he used it as a flashlight.
1: No, and same thing here. They're giving a hat tip to his initial film, which was Fun and Fancy Free, where we meet him in uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yes. And at the end of it, I love that ending where he picks up the hat from the Brown Derby and he wears it out. So here it's kind of the same thing where he's this giant that's sort of playing with the town like it's a toy.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is probably the most heartbreaking Tiny Tim of all of them. Oh my gosh. Because let's call it what it is. He's a mini Mickey. Nobody wants to see a mini Mickey on a crutch in pain. And... You have Minnie Mouse as Mitch as Mrs. Cratchit. She does not have no a speaking, speaking lines, line, yeah. But she's so beautifully drawn. The way that she emotes, the way that all of them emote, really, really drive home the fact that Tiny Tim. I mean, you know the story of Tiny Tim, but there's just a certain way that they facially emote through the animation that drives home the fact that they're suffering almost worse than he is because he has such a cheery disposition on life, and the rest of them know what the reality of the situation is.
1: And what absolutely destroys me every single time is that they have such little food to begin with, and yet he is willing to give up his portion for Mickey because he sees that he has even less on his plate. It's... It, it's so sad. It kills me every single time. And even for Minnie to have no speaking lines, too, you think it's sort of a throwaway. But they're talking when he asks Scrooge for the full day off instead of the half day. He's going over his wages and he's like, oh, that's right. I gave you the hay the hey penny so that you would do my laundry. So we see the laundry being done in a pot boiling on the fire and and Minnie's helping him out by doing this. So she's pitching in and, you know, they're, they're still, as bad as the situation is, they're just grateful to have the money in any capacity.
0: And that's what makes this probably the most brutal Tiny Tim death of all of them. Yes. They're not afraid to show the grave. But that scene where Mickey just has... He he has like that stunned look on his face and he's got the tear that just comes down and he leaves the crutch. I mean, are you kidding me? It's absolutely brutal.
1: Nobody wants to see Mickey like that. That's... I don't know what's worse though. Is that and seeing him leave the crutch or hearing Kermit talk about walking
0: past it on his way home from work? This. Because I think sometimes... Not everything needs to be said. It's brutal when when um, Kermit talks about it. I think this is worse. Uh, I think this is worse because there is not a spoken word, but the way that it is so beautifully drawn. as tragic as it is. It's so beautifully drawn that it just carries more impact for me.
1: Well, I guess that's it. I mean, you hear Kermit talk about it, and you kind of just let your imagination wander as to how sad it is. But here, you are actually seeing it.
0: I love that Pete is the ghost of Christmas future. I don't think there's anyone better that you can have in this film because, I mean, you could have just as easily gone with a Disney villain, but, I mean, most most of them have been defeated at this point, and I feel like they're not going to revive a villain to make them the ghost of Christmas future.
1: Right, and I feel like Pete is always sort of your default villain.
0: He, Yeah, he is. He's the de facto bad guy. Yeah.
1: So I'm totally fine with this. I,
0: the, the really, the casting across the board is perfect. Yeah. The depths of hell and the coffin as Scrooge is saying, I'll change, I'll change. That has stuck with me since I was four years old. And yet
1: they threw a hidden Mickey in there in the clouds of smoke. Yeah, I know. Of course they did.
0: But, you know, you, you of course get to the happy ending and. Scrooge changes his ways and blah, blah, blah. Gives away a bunch of money, brings the
1: Cratchit's toys.
0: Right? And oh, what a Merry Christmas Day. That really is the whole film. I mean, we've spent almost as much time talking about it as the film has a running time. So I think naturally now, even though this is kind of a quick one, I think it's time for final thoughts. Do you want to go first or should I go first? I'll go first. Okay, go ahead. Uh, It's perfect.
1: Everything about it is perfect. Um, Even though it is a meaner Scrooge, it does serve to pay off in the end. And I think a lot of that is because he's being mean to Mickey. And like you said, subconsciously, you can't see somebody treat Mickey like that. It's just terrible. Um, But I think their casting choices were absolutely spot on with this. Um I I love the animation. I love how they captured that Dickensian era. Um I really like that they showed how 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 everyone was struggling and how times were tough but without really milking that. They milked Scrooge being mean, but as far as seeing the poverty, that was something that in Muppets, really makes me sad because they spend a lot of time showing how how bad it is for for these characters. So I think even though Scrooge was worse, it was a little bit easier to digest not spending so much time really seeing how the the ins and outs of how bad things were. Right. Um. But with that being said, I mean. Even though Michael Caine is not in this film, this is still one of my favorite versions. It's incredible.
0: I agree. One of my favorite versions. I think that there's so much about this film that I love. I think the animation is spectacular. I love the sets. I love the music. I think this is a very good introduction for children, I, you know, into what is such a timeless, classic story that I think everybody should know. You know, if you. If you celebrate Christmas, there are a handful of stories I feel like you kind of know as a kid. The Night Before Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, and A Christmas Carol. And I feel like this is that absolutely perfect introduction for a child. I think it's a great collection of characters. Both uh, characters that you're very aware of and those that maybe you hadn't seen in a long time. Ironically, I love the fact that Donald, I mentioned it before he gets to play Fred. This was the last time that Clarence Nash voiced Donald Duck. And he was he was the original voice and, and Walt picked him and, and he was one of the remaining original Disney voices, you know. So for him to kind of go out on top and not just be angry and screaming all of the time, ironically, I think that that's actually a very fitting end to his story. I think this has so much heart. I think it has more heart than a lot of other Christmas Carol iterations that we've seen. And I love the fact that you called it perfect. Because I gave it the perfect score. This, to me, is one of those rare films that we talk about on this show. In spite of the fact that it's only 26 minutes long, this is a perfect movie. It's absolutely perfect. If it
1: has one flaw, it's that it's not a feature. But at the same time, if it was that long, would it drag? And I think think that's part of it being perfect.
0: Yeah. I mean, they thought it was good enough to be nominated for an Academy Award in 1984. It didn't win. It, It lost to Sunday in New York. but. I mean, I've never seen Sunday in New York, but now I kind of want to see it because I want to see what beat this. That's how good I think this is. Right. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break.
1: If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii... Get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
0: News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you're looking for branding, print, and graphic design, and media kits, Kelly has you covered. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code Monorail 10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that she has to offer at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We are starting to work our way towards award season. and It's the most wonderful time of the year. So, it starts with the Critics' Choice Awards, which a lot of people believe is kind of like your gateway towards the Golden Globes and then the Academy Awards. So Disney really did walk away with a lot of nominations here. In big categories. in big categories. and, I, and honestly, like I, I think you can justify all of these nominations. and in fact, I think that they actually stand a chance to win. In most of these categories,
1: I hope so because a certain show that everyone loved is nominated for a few Critics' Choice Awards after getting snubbed at the Emmys. So I'm really hoping that WandaVision is going to get its due here.
0: WandaVision got four nominations for Best Limited Series, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actress. What If got nominated for Best Animated Series, uh, Shang-Chi got nominated for Best uh, Visual Effects, Cruella for Costume, Hair, and Makeup, I mean, th- this it's a, that's a home run, I, I think you just kind of give them the award for that one. Um, And then for Best Animated Film, I mean, they're going to get one of them, right? Raya, Luca, and Encanto all got uh, nominated. And Encanto, by the way, we're getting a Christmas gift from Disney. It's dropping on Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. I I mean, look, as I look at these, it would not surprise me if Disney had a clean sweep here. uh, Wanda might not win everything, but it certainly could.
1: And it should in the acting categories. I'm happy that Paul Bettany, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, obviously Katherine Hahn, I mean, finally. Everybody loved her as Agatha Harkness. And obviously, yes, the theme song took off. We know she's getting a spinoff series, but I feel like she hasn't been critically recognized for that amazing performance. So I was really happy to see the three of them up. Uh, let me ask you for best animated film. That is some tough competition. What are What are you thinking?
0: Raya. It's Raya, and and it's not even close. I mean, I really loved Encanto. Of the three of these, to me, it's Raya, Encanto, and Luca. I kind of look at Raya and Encanto as like a one a one b. If you flipped them the other way, and Encanto won, I would. It wouldn't surprise me uh, if Luca wins. I'd be shocked. I'm
1: hoping for Raya even though I loved Encanto as well. Uh, I I really love Raya, and I feel like we're in the minority with that. Um, I mean, I think most people enjoyed it, but I feel like it, it, it didn't take off the way Disney had
0: hoped or expected it would. Where It's the reverse Moana, where everybody loves Moana except us, and we love Raya, and everyone else is sort of lukewarm on it.
1: Hoping that everybody else catches up to us, but um, hoping for Raya, but I'm Thinking it's going to go to Luca.
0: Really? Yeah. You think it's going to go to Luca? Everybody loves Luca. I don't care what everybody loves. No, but I'm... T- I'm- everybody <laughs> loved DT, e. and it didn't win the best picture. Gandhi did.
1: <laughs> no, that's true. You are right. It, it doesn't always go based on the fan favorite, but I feel like... Just the way that they they captured Italy, even though Porto Rosso is a, a fictional town, people go crazy for this movie.
0: We'll see. We'll see. Um, We got some more Disney Plus news. Eternals drops on Disney Plus on January 12th. And you want to talk about something that had a lukewarm reception. Look no further than this movie. Like, I feel like, the people that I spoke to, and we did see it, um, I feel like you either loved it or you really didn't like it at all. Again, I we're kind of in that weird minority where it's like we're kind of somewhere in the middle. I feel like the day of the week that you ask me about Eternals, like every day that you ask me, depending on my mood, is like a different response.
1: I didn't love it, definitely didn't hate it. I was taking a few days to process it and I honestly yeah. kind of forgot
0: about it. <laughs> so, do with that what you will. It's probably the most forgettable of the MCU films. And th- and that that includes bad ones like Thor the Dark World and uh, you know, some of the later Iron Man movies. Like y- you can make the case for, well, they're not great, but they are memorable. This one is kind of just a Marvel movie that's out there. I mean, I think Shang-Chi blew this one out of the water.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Um, But that's coming on the 12th. And I think the most encouraging news is the announcement that the Flower and Garden Festival is coming back. It's going to run, oh boy, from March 2nd through the 4th of July. Because why not have festivals go for, you know, four months at a time? But I think... The most exciting news here is that the Garden Rocks concert series is coming back, which means eventually Eat to the Beat is coming back, which means we are starting to see some normalcy back at Walt Disney World in spite of the fact that Chapek tried to not make it happen. He tried to make everything abnormal, but we're we're, we're starting to get normal back. I am super excited to hear that this concert series is coming back.
1: As am I, although I wasn't really a surprise because we know we're getting the Indiana Indiana Jones stunt show back. Right. We know Phantasmic is coming this year, so I don't think that you can bring things like that back and not do a concert series. Um, I'm going back and forth, though, on how long this concert is running or concert, how long the (laughs) festival is running. Yeah.
0: It seems like a long time.
1: Well, look at how long they ran Food & Wine this year from July. And that's what I was getting at. I really hope they're not doing that again where they start Food & Wine mid-July and have it go to the end of the year. It's it's a fall festival. It doesn't have to start in July. They already pushed the fall so early. And I don't think that you're going to run concerts from July. I mean, I will see... 90s bands every single week yeah, like sure. there's enough to fill that calendar enough one hit wonders that will come and perform at Epcot but I feel like that's just a little bit too much like yes people are excited to get back to normal but I was gonna say let's not you know try and take advantage of that but given Paycheck's track record well this is the of other thing they're right going to.
0: it's like you have to pay that talent their fee so like I'm just gonna throw this out there right now Okay, and a lot of you are not going to like this, but I can see in the not so distant future where, like, at least like they'll like upsell like the first ten rows of those shows. Oh, for sure. They'll do some sort of dessert party or a snack party to offset the cost of paying these bands. That's if you even have them as frequent. I mean, the, like when you have these festivals when they were a much more condensed calendar you basically had these performances every night. It would not surprise me either if the way they offset the cost is that you don't have a performer every single night. Instead of having Tiffany come for three nights, she comes for two, and that's who's there this week. And then next week, you get 98 degrees for two nights. And then the next week you get the Gin Blossoms, and then the next week, you get Mickey Dolan's. You know what I'm saying? Like, all these bands that they kind of, like, have become staples of these sorts of festivals in the Orlando area. Some of them, obviously, always at Epcot. Um, I am not sure that you're going back to see back to back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back. That's That's my only concern with these running for so long and with the cost cutting being at an all time high at Walt Disney World.
1: Oh, poor Mickey Dolan's flying solo there. You had to you had to do that, didn't you?
0: Mickey Dolan's I'm sorry. Mickey Dolan's is better off flying solo.
1: No, and he can he can fill it himself. But that's, you know, to your point what you're talking about having it spread out a little more. That's why you book bands like this. It's supposed to be a draw. You're just going to bleed this money out if you have to pay bands to be there every single night. That's not why people are like, yes, they will come for a band, but they're there to enjoy the wine and food and all of the other offerings. You know, realistically, how many more people are you drawing into these parks because of the bands?
0: Well, I think it depends. I think when Squeeze comes, that's a big draw. When Hanson comes, it's a big draw. When Sugar Ray comes, it's a big draw. For locals.
1: If you're there and you happen to be on vacation at best, you're probably going to schedule your Epcot day when there's a band you like. It's what we've always done. Right. You know, even though we miss Sugar Ray every single year, but we've caught some really great bands. But we've dictated our Epcot day based on who was performing as as locals. It's overkill. How many times are you going to drop everything to go see a performance at Epcot?
0: There are a lot of locals that do it, though. I mean, we talk to locals, especially the retirees, that have APs. They live within 15 minutes, and they go to Epcot three times a week because they can see a concert. It's a thing to do. It's a place to go. And then they're showing up, and they're buying food, and they're buying booze. I mean, there is my point is, these performances, whether you think they're necessary every night or not, have become a hallmark and a staple of these festivals. I do believe that there is going to come a point where when you just have festivals running all of the time, you're not going to want to pay these people. And if you are willing to pay those people, you are not just going to take that money out of your pocket gleefully because of Bob Chapik, it's it it will it will trickle down to the guest. That's what I'm saying,
1: and that's my point. Is if you overdo it, it's going to lose its luster.
0: Then I'm saying, then I I agree with you. I think they have to shorten these Less is festivals more. for sure. And I think that they did it this year. Well, here's the thing. I thought they did it this year with food and wine because. Because you don't have shows, you didn't have a fireworks show, you you haven't had the performers. So they were trying to extend the festival so that you had something else to look forward to, you had something else to do, because they're really just trying to fill a calendar with something. I think the problem is, it probably, well, I mean, it's Disney, it made money. The Food and Wine Festival made money in July. Now that it made money in July, it's always going to make money in July. So I think what, what you probably saw as we're trying to fill a calendar with a guest experience has now turned into this is what we're going to do moving forward. And it's just going to be four-month festivals. Just run one right into another. Right. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about this news, whether it is the Critics' Choice Awards or the return of the Garden Rocks concerts. You can let us know how you feel about it on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this end every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like us on that social media as well as TikTok. We are there at Monorail Radio as well. And for links to all of the places that you can find the social media to where you can find the podcast, whether that be on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice, that is always online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.